I'm kind of tempted to think of Zod as mostly just like a schema validation library. That's what it is at its core. And then these little extra sprinkles just give you the ability to go that little step further if you need to. Hi there, and welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm your host, Paul, and today we're joined with Matt Pocock. So Matt, I know you used to work at Vercel, right? And kind of phased out and now you're a content person. Yes, I'm a content person, a person of content. Yeah, I was at Vercel for like uh, for three months this year, which is kind of nuts. Uh, before that, I was at Stately and now uh, I'm working on a TypeScript course and have gone full time with content creation, which is super strange to say. Which came first, the course or the Vercel? Because that surprised me. Three months at Vercel is pretty quick and a course is not a three month endeavor. So No, quite. Well, they both sort of started happening around the same time. I went to uh, a conference in Utah called Remix Conf, where I got this nice, nice hoodie I'm wearing. And I met this guy called Joel Hooks there, who's the guy behind Egghead, and he does a lot of different courses. And he made me a burger, I think, or helped make me a burger. And I kind of liked him. And around the same time, I was chatting to Lee Robinson from Vercel and thinking, okay, maybe I could join these guys. And so I joined Vercel for like three months, three days a week. Um, which is kind of unusual, uh, just to sort of try each other out to see what was sort of how we felt about it. And then I was doing the course two days a week on the side and, and the course just exploded. And so I was in a kind of strange position of choosing between carrying on at Vercel or doing this course. And I chose the course kind of madly, but it's been going great. So I'm, I'm really pumped. And Matt has a YouTube channel too. If you want to if you're listening and you want to go find out things about TypeScript in particular, that's what we're going to be getting into in this video. We're going to be talking about Zod and new stuff that's happened with Zod. Personally, I'm a huge fan of Zod. Like I'm, a, I'm nutty for Zod. Like I use it. I would be crazy not to use it in a TypeScript script project to date. But before I've heard of it, somebody was trying to describe Zod to me, and I was just like, okay, but I, I use TypeScript. What are you on about? <laughs> So why don't why don't we start out with what what the heck is Zod and why would somebody want to use it? That's a good question. It's easy to describe Zod as something like fundamental to TypeScript, but you can think of Zod as just just another library that you install with npm that you use, and it's basically a schema validator. What that means is it's really good at validating unknown inputs and turning them into outputs that you can then understand and work with and control. So the classic example is like a form input, basically, you know, where you have a form and you have, okay, I need a first name, a last name, and an email. And if one of those, for instance, isn't included, then we need to error. If one of them, if the email is formatted incorrectly, then we error. And Zod does this, can do this for forms. It gives out really nice human readable errors, but you can also use it for a bunch of different stuff. Uh, out of the different stuff, what is that? Because for me, I'm thinking about validation and that's like the extent of Zod. What are the extras? Zod can do a like a validation is its bread and butter. And if you think of validation, you start realizing that, okay, from a philosophical point of view, let's imagine that your application that you're building is like a system, right? It might be like a front-end and back-end system, but let's imagine it's just like a, uh, a back-end system for now, like a financial microservice you're building or something. That thing is probably going to have ports and like endpoints that are exposed publicly. 
That means anyone can try and access that and try and use it. You're going to need to make sure that the things that are being passed in to that are validated, are in the correct shape, are in the correct format. And so every single endpoint that you have out there should be validated with something like Zod, or another one might be GraphQL, right? Zod doesn't necessarily replace GraphQL, but they sort of do a similar job in that like GraphQL Obviously, GraphQL does a lot more, but it does a lot of this schema validation for you. It says, okay, this is a string, this is an int, this is a float, blah, 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 blah. And that's one of the first things that comes to mind for me. Like, imagine you expose like a public webhook from your Discord bot or something. You know that that is going to need, you're going to need to receive messages in a certain format there in a certain way. So you probably need a schema validator to check that those messages that you're receiving are in the correct format. If you have webhooks bouncing back and forth, you know, like anywhere where you have unknown information entering your system, you probably need something like Zod to like validate it. And one of the beauties about Zod is you can pass in anything, right? You can, we're using TypeScript. So let's take the Discord bot example. You get a type and you're like, oh, I know this message type. You can just pass that type into Zod and generate a schema of some sorts. So when the schema run, uh, we can call it runtime validation, is that appropriate? Mm -hmm, definitely. Okay, so when this runtime validation is happening, is that, can we think of it just like a bunch of mental transforms that Zod is sort of like fronting for the TypeScript compiler when we're developing? If we, let's let's imagine it from the type level first, because the thing that's really good about Zod is it, it it's got a really nice developer experience. It feels really nice to use. And the reason it is, really nice to use is that you can build like object types out of it. So it has this convention where you say Z dot, you know, Z dot object, uh, Z dot number, Z dot string. Uh, I saw someone on Twitter saying like, it's kind of like a, a German saying it's, you know, the string, the, the, the object, the, the number, right? Uh, the enum. And, uh, and so you use these to construct these kind of big uh, object types, kind of like you would work with interfaces in TypeScript. So we've got this like, idea that you can create types out of Zod because Zod also has this lovely thing where you can infer the type from the runtime construct using z.infer. So what this means is you can basically pass anything into Zod and it will turn it into that type at runtime. So you can be really, really loose with what you pass in and really strict with what you get out. That means that Zod kind of like ful fulfills this need that lots of apps have, which is turning things that you're not quite sure what they are into things that you are absolutely dead sure you know what they are. That's kind of the step when I'm taking in the request.body and I'm doing 1000 if statements about <laughs> the different types. Yeah, exactly. And it does that in this really nice reusable way. From my point of view, I mean, it contributes a lot to the developer experience. Like you mentioned when I'm writing with the TypeScript compiler, but if we're thinking about it from like an informatic point of view or a runtime point of view, when Zod is out in the wild, does it in your mind provide any sort of ancillary benefits besides the work and the attention to detail that is put forth by the team developing it beforehand? Because all this attention to detail is like, okay, let's check, let's type check. And it's like, Zod's like, okay, I got you. Don't worry about it. But in runtime, does it do more for us other than that first? Well, a, a, a runtime, it... it the thing that's useful about it is it lets you be really, really sure that what you're getting at runtime is what you think you're getting. Like there are lots of things in TypeScript that um, tend to return any. 
like you think of any as like a, a bad thing in TypeScript, and it's it's kind of bad if you just type everything as any, right? Probably shouldn't do that. The thing that is though that if you're getting something from like JSON .pass, like that method there, that returns any in TypeScript. And so if you're using JSON.pass, you're basically introducing an any into your code base, same as if you use fetch, actually the fetch API. If you call fetch, you know, res, res.json, res.json will return a promise inside it has any. So you're introducing these anys. Like if you grab something from local storage, even you need to make sure that the thing you're grabbing from local storage or the user's clipboard or something, it has a needs to have a certain shape. And Zod lets you transform those anys into something that can be manipulated and something that you know what it is. And the thing you're talking about there with the ancillary benefits is Zod will basically fail at runtime, right? It throws an error. And this means because it's throwing an error, it's not kind of like letting this bad thing through into your code base, that you get this really nice experience where the errors happen at the boundaries of your app. They don't happen deep within your app, or you know, they might if you've you know got some broken code, but that's that's nothing to do with Zod. They happen at the edge of your app, and when they happen at the edge of their app, they're really easy to diagnose. You know that if you've received some bad information and Zod's thrown this beautiful descriptive error, you know that that bug is pretty easy to fix because you're getting some bad data through. Right, and they provide even a custom error uh, that you can and you could override that. You could you could say, oh, I have schema A, schema B, schema C. And it's failing in these specific spots. If you're writing an API service, I'm sure you could somehow right, get exact error message about the field that failed. Yeah, exactly. And you can do really clever kind of refinements as well. So imagine that you have like a password and a confirmed password. You need to make sure those are the same. That's not something that Zod supports out of the box, but you can do like z.refine where you can refine the existing object type and kind of check that those two things are the same. And if they're not the same, then you throw an error. The refine kind of brings me to a second thought here, which is that Zod makes you think about or urges you to think about validation that you wouldn't have considered beforehand. I mean, there are so many methods in this library for that you can just chain because it's, it's a chainable sort of paradigm. Um, I'm a super basic user of Zod. Like I've used it just for my personal doodads in, in this, but from your like more bird's eye point of view, what are some of the things that you think people might miss out on when they're thinking about a validation that Zod urged you to think about? So I've I've been using Zod. Um, I, I use it in a bunch of different places. I've been using it uh, in a really really interesting uh, case. The case that I've been working on is working on an AST path. What that means at a basic level is I'm using something called Babel, where it will take in a file and it will say, okay, it's going to take all of the syntax that's in that file and turn it into this big tree of nodes. At the root is the program. Then you've got all of the methods on all of the individual lines and all the variables and all the stuff inside that. This gets extremely complex to look at because you look at like a function and you think, okay, that might have an argument. It might have a type argument being passed to that. It might like the AST is so complicated and so rich and so diverse. So what I've been doing is using Zod to say, okay, if it's this thing, like if it's, let's say I'm looking at uh, passing a generic to a type, for instance. Okay, if this generic has type arguments with like an array, z.array with minimum length of one with this inside it and this inside it, then using Zod just sort of like 
makes it so much easier to think about that stuff. And like using all of those chains and the like being able to specify, like, okay, I want this to be minimum uh, array of minimum length one and max length four, for instance, otherwise show a different kind of a, like, it's just like a dream to work with. It really, really is. And are there, one that you mentioned was the refine. I haven't used that one personally. Just just to step into that real quick for my own selfish want to explore that. What is what does refine do? Why would we want to use it? Yeah. So refine lets you, because a lot of what Zod does is it's kind of giving you validation on individual like properties of an object, let's say. Like, that's a really common one. So imagine that you have like, um, you want to validate a user type. You want to validate that the email is an email. You want to validate that their date of birth is an actual date. You want to validate that uh, the number of posts they've contributed is a number, all that stuff. Uh, it gives you all of these methods to do that. So you have like a z.string.email method. But what if you wanted to do something more complex than that, where you wanted to combine lots of fields from an object in the validation? So the confirm password and password one is a, is a typical example. I'm trying to think of another one off the top of my head. Maybe you want to make sure that, um, I don't know, you have an array of values and you want to make sure that all of them are in sequence, that they're sorted. Then the way you would do that is you would have a z.array or Z dot array with like a number inside it. Then on the array, you would refine it to make sure that the array where they're all sorted and the array where they're not all sorted is, is the same. And like you can reuse these validations as well. So you would have then a type which is like, or a schema which is sorted array that you could then reuse in various places across your application. So refine lets you operate at a higher level than the normal validations let you do. So could we use this for like a password validation? You need to have 20 characters, one cap and one explanation. Yeah, totally. Like uh, custom errors would work totally fine. I'm trying to think you could, yeah, like with one capital with, you could even do it um, async refinements are kind of cool as well. Because with an async refinement, you could call an external API that says, is this password okay? If it's not okay, then throw an error. Wow, you have a whole lifecycle management of input. Seriously, yeah. And if we talk about transform as well, which we probably will do later, you can even do async transforms as well. Let's do it now. If you think about uh, z.transform, what that does is imagine that you have like a string and you want to coerce it to a number. So you want to say, okay, because like, let's say you have like a text input that you want to coerce into being a number or coerce into being a date or something. Then what you would do is you would say z.string, because that's the input that you're getting from, let's say, a date field. And then you would say z.string.transform, and then you could do any kind of transformation there. So you pass in a function that takes in the input and returns a new output. So let's say it's like uh, you just wrap it in new date from JavaScript. Suddenly, you've got kind of like a sort of functional paradigm there, where you're able to just pass in something and then it piped to this transformation function. Now. When you think about that, then you think, okay, let's imagine that I have like an array which can then be, you know, passed in like JSON stringified. You start to realize, okay, I can do async transformations as well. So I could just make a transformation where I pass in like an ID. It goes and fetches the thing, refines all the data for me. Like, you know, it, it just gets kind of mad. Like you start to realize there's this whole paradigm inside Zod that's just hiding inside the schema validating library. It's almost tempting to go down the rabbit hole. I'm like, what could I do? 
because there's even uh, some new methods come out in 3.2 3.20 that like uh, enable more functional stuff yeah let's get into that and before we do i just want to mention matt's been with us before and if you want to hear more eloquent awesome ramblings about what's going on in tech go watch our other episodes and, and, and listen to matt i'm sure he'll be on again so well, let's get right into the the new stuff that you just mentioned because we're talking about methods. I love the refinement method. I learned something new today. Mm. A new one is pipe, right? That is that is that a new one to my understanding in three point two? Yeah, that's new. Yeah, that's three point twenty. We're at now. Not two. Three point twenty. Yeah, I thought it was like three point two point oh. I even did a YouTube video where I said three point two point oh, and then realized it was three point twenty halfway through. Yeah. So pipe, what that does is you can declare one schema. And then you can basically like, it's kind of strange thinking about pipe without thinking about kind of functional programming, because that's where it makes most sense. In functional programming, you essentially use like a pipe operator, just sort of pipe things into other functions, you know, kind of like you would do on the command line. With Zod, you're basically piping the results of some schemas into other schemas. So if you imagine you have like a z.string, you would have, you would then pipe that into something that accepts a string and returns a date, let's say, and pipe that into something that accepts a date and, re- and returns like dot uh, now. And like these things are pretty cheap for Zod to add, and it enables a lot of kind of interesting things when you like or interesting paradigms when you start to put it into code. I'm kind of tempted to think of Zod as mostly just like a schema validation library. That's what it is at its core. And then these little extra sprinkles just give you the ability to go that little step further if you need to. Zod is kind of like competing against a couple of libraries like uh, AJV and um, probably not Joy anymore, but certainly uh, IO. IOTS, uh, which is IOTS is a really, really functional um, kind of paradigm and like really takes itself very seriously in terms of, okay, we are the functional uh, schema validation library. We we help you do functional programming. Have you heard of it before? No, I have not. Yeah, it's it's really hardcore. And like the docs as well, they really need you to understand functional programming in order to really use them. And whereas Zord feels a little bit more user-friendly, but it's got these little extra bits that let you do things that are maybe available in these more complicated libraries. So the pipe, Operator in essence lets you take a Zod type object and push it into another. And what is the difference of using the pipe versus, you know, taking a type of and then pushing that type into a new Zod? Yeah, it's just a bit more idiomatic, really. Gotcha. If you imagine that you declare these, because with like Z.transform or something, uh, what you would need to do is kind of like create a function outside it. And then inside that function, call like a schema.pass, really, and then and do that. Whereas pipe just lets you declare all these things kind of at the top level, you know, like to number and then declare your transformations outside and then pipe them all together. I don't really see it as like something that you're going to be using day to day, but it's nice to have it if you're interested in going down that route. So let's pick one other new uh, method that came out in 3.20. I know there's a lot. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I have a little list right here. If you if you have one in particular that you found interesting, please shout it out. I I all right. Here's one I have. What about the finite method? Uh, the finite well, the finite method is like super simple. It's basically just saying don't allow infinite. 
into here, which is to say, like, because technically infinite is possible in JavaScript to number. You know, infinite is a number. Now you can say, okay, I need a finite number instead, which is kind of mad, really. Let's say it was making an end file and parsing the end with Zod. How do I put infinity? Yeah, it's possible, though. It is possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I don't know if whether you can get it from JSON pass or something. I don't know how you would possibly get that as a result. But yeah, so now you can avoid it. I have to say, uh, speaking of end, one thing that Zod has been a huge help for uh, on my personal projects is parsing end files. Like it is amazing to mm-hmm. type import end from my utils package and do end dot and boom, they're all there. They're all typed. It's it's so nice. One thing, I mean, there's a really interesting sort of thing there, which is like, it's should you you should definitely use Zod for things that you don't trust, you know, for like passing user inputs, for making sure your API endpoints are secure. There's an interesting discussion to be had about whether you should use it for things that you sort of half trust, you know, like yourself, let's say. Because when you're like writing a script, like you probably know that your environment variables are set up correctly. You know, if the user has like done the readme steps or something on your on your GitHub repo, then in theory they should have all of the environment variables. And there's another one which is like, imagine that you have like a backend team and your backend team are building an API that you as the front end team are using and consuming. Should you use Zod to validate what you're getting back from that backend? I'm, what do you think? I feel pretty opinionated on that, which is that if you can give a helpful error message, you better damn be sure giving a helpful error message. Like I really dislike the attitude in tech where people are saying, well, in theory, it should be like this. And even though it's slightly more difficult and in the system, in theory would be better. In the real world, it'll, it's never going to be like that. So that opinion kind of becomes a little discounted in my head because what happens in the real world is what matters in the end. Um, It's it's an interesting question though, because there's like, it's about the level of trust you have, like on an organizational level, almost in that backend team. I can remember jobs I've had where I would have loved to validate everything I was getting from the backend and like uh, build from that. And I even use Zod, for instance, in like uh, little third-party projects when I'm just like using an API that I haven't used before, you know, when I'm like, uh, like using the YouTube API or something. I don't necessarily use their bindings anymore. I just go and fetch it and then like uh, zod.pass the the things that I'm getting back. And you even get sort of like documentation in the project like for all of the things that that thing is going to return. It's just so cool. I think that that's where a lot of the discussion around should I use Zod really rests is in that how much do I trust the thing that I'm using and because obviously you need to use it for unknown stuff, but how much do I trust the thing that I'm using? Should I be using Zod to strongly type it? I think that makes me ask the question, well, what's the alternative? If the alternative is not using Zod, and then so I'm asking, what is the benefit of not using Zod? It's a time, my first thing is it's a time save. And besides that, I can't really think of anything else the, the alternative is to do it all at the type level, is to do it uh, with an interface, let's say, because you're getting any back from uh, from your fetch method. So you would just say, okay, the result of the thing I'm fetching, colon, um, YouTube result or something. And that kind of like, that 
basically takes all of the stuff that you're getting from Zod and just puts it at the type level, which means, first of all, you don't need to use a whole library. So you don't need to read the documentation, don't need to have that kind of like overhead in your project. And you also, uh, it's faster. It's going to be faster not to validate, of course, because validating especially big objects like that will always be slower than not doing it. The only way to speed up a program is to do less stuff or do that stuff faster. So yeah, like that's obvious. And like Zod has a kind of significant bundle size. Like if bundle size is a concern, and I'd argue that for most apps it isn't, or like, you know, it's not as much as you think it is, not as much as Twitter thinks it is. Um, like if bundle size is a concern, then you might not want Zod on your front end validating everything that is is pulled through, and you ju- might just want to do that on the type level. That's totally fine. Um, so I think there is a conversation about whether you should use it, and certainly teams out there will be having this conversation. And I think it's mostly about do you trust the stuff that you're getting if you don't use Zod? If you sort of do, it's definitely a conversation. And on the bundle size comment quickly, like... I think the opinion of do we really need to worry about bundle size? Eh, not really is a very like need needed to be said thing because we worry a lot about like crossing T's and dotting I's, but we're at a point in like hardware <laughs> where very few things matter for a software developer's point of view. We're we're at that point. And I mean, like if we look at Cloudflare workers, they're considered to be a pretty restrictive runtime environment. You can have, I think it's like a megabyte max for your bundle. And I've used Zod several times in many workers, and this is on like large enterprise pro- projects. And I don't know, it's 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 fine. <laughs> we still have plenty of room to add more modules. So the bundle size argument's a tough one to get by me. Yeah, I, I it's it it vastly. Um, I've had this argument a bunch of times actually because I, I used to be on the core team of XState, and XState is kind of like similar to Zod, which is it brings. XState is a library for building finite state machines and state charts, and it brings a lot of robustness um, at the cost of being a little bit hefty to add into your bundle, you know, 40, 50 kilobytes or something like uh, unzipped. And um, that's that's like, uh, like it, it gives you a lot of safety because state charts and finite state machines inherently are very safe. Uh, they don't allow, uh, you know, crap to come into the system like uh, this would be like crap sequences impossible states impossible events um so and just like zod zod doesn't allow impossible data into your application so both of them have the same sort of cost benefit analysis and i would argue that in most sectors or probably half let's say sectors out there robustness is more important than speed and in the other half speed is more important than robustness like if you're doing an e-commerce platform or things like this, where you just need to save every single millisecond. Um, But in my experience building stuff, robustness has always been super important. So I always super highly value Zod and uh, XState as well. And that was the thing I came on to talk about last time actually was XState. Well, we're kind of coming up on time. So this is a good segue. (laughs) If you want to listen to more Matt besides our podcast, you can go check out his YouTube channel. I'm a fan of Matt's YouTube channel. He has like videos about TypeScript basics, fundamentals. Besides a YouTube channel, Matt, where could people find you if they want to listen or read? So the home for everything me right now is totaltypescript.com. That's the course I've been working on. It's the course I quit Vercel to make. Um, and it's 
basically everything I've learned about TypeScript from working on XState core team, from leading TypeScript teams, from kind of getting deep into all of the TypeScript wizardry out there. Like TypeScript is going to be probably the number one uh, language out there. It's already beating JavaScript in terms of adoption and in terms of amount of scale at industry level. If you want a job right now, you're probably going to need TypeScript. And I've got a lot of beginner material up there that's for free. And the advanced material, there's a lot of advanced material up there for free as well, like in the tips section. But I've been building an advanced TypeScript course. So the beginner material should get you the job and the advanced material should turn you into a mid, into a senior, into a lead and teach you all about the kind of magic that lives inside some of these libraries like Zod because Zod has uh, an extremely um, extremely dense and complicated code base to look at if you don't understand like type level programming, if you don't understand generics. And my workshops and, and the, the course that I'm building is all about that, all about taking you from a kind of mid-level, you know, intermediate TypeScript person into being full TypeScript wizard. One more time, what was the name of that website? TotalTypescript.com. Total type, and that's the name of the course too. Total TypeScript. Total TypeScript. Yeah, that's it. All right. Well, Matt, thank you for your time again, and hopefully, some people can get their attention turned on to Zod if they're not already using it. For sure. Uh, really nice talking to you.